to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. Also the Jews said, see how he loved him. But when some of them said, but some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, he who have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with the strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of our Lord. Happy birthday. We talked about trying to come up with a theme for our fifth birthday celebration and concluded that the best way to do that is to think about a five-year-old's birthday party. So uh, as I look out this morning, I'm thinking we could have a great time if we really uh, acted like five-year-olds in here. So I hope you'll do that as we continue on today, um, not during the sermon, but maybe later and uh, as we go over for the meal. But it's an exciting time to come together and to celebrate. It is in so many ways hard to believe that it's been five years. Uh, In fact, I want to ask all of you who uh, have been here five years if you will stand. I know we've got a few of our pioneers out of town this morning, unfortunately. Um, Okay, let's give them a hand. And we've got a few of our pioneers over in the gym setting up, and then I know uh, April Greenleaf and I believe Candy, um, they are out of town with their new uh, college freshmen and uh, parents' weekends and other things like that. So we're grateful for them and uh, for everybody who's been a part of that. Well, this has also been a great football weekend, hasn't it? No. No. I uh, somehow knew I would get a pretty mixed response on that one. It depends on who your team is. Uh, But the uh, games that will be going on today are going to be uh, really good as well. I don't know if you're, if you're just a college football fan and you don't like to watch the NFL, uh, you're going to fit right in with a lot of people. Uh, some people love the NFL, they don't like to watch college football, or some of you just like to spend your whole weekend in front of the TV um, watching football. But Forbes magazine came out uh, with a ranking of the five most valuable NFL quarterbacks in 2015. I'm not going to ask for your responses because probably your top picks, except for one, probably aren't in that top five. But number one is Aaron Rodgers of Green Bay. 
the second is Andrew Luck of the Colts. Number three, Russell Wilson uh, for Seattle. Tom Brady, I don't know how Tom Brady still made, uh, made the top five. Um, huh? <laughs> He's a cheater. Okay, I agree. He cheated his way into the top five. Okay. And then number five, and I really think it ought to be Tony Romo, but it is Drew Brees of the Saints. <laughs> You would think I just announced the lotto, right? Everybody's so excited about that. But it is exciting. It's exciting to watch all five of those. Especially, it's exciting, I think, to watch Drew Brees. I think he is a a man of great character and loves uh, Jesus and loves football. All those good things that we like to admire. Uh, But it it is really incredible to watch him as well as the others Uh, get out there and throw the football. It's not just about throwing the football, right? I mean, you and I could do that. We could get out. I think most of us could throw the football. But how many of us could thread the needle? I mean, how many of us could really be able to get the ball where it needs to go in the timing uh, when it needs to happen? And this is what these guys... (laughs) Yeah, some of you are raising your hand. This is what uh, these guys are able to do. And this is why they are in the top five. It's not just about throwing the football, it's about leadership. It's about being able to understand what needs to happen and in the moment, in in that clutch moment, being able to make the right kinds of decisions and make things happen. It's about how you do it. And isn't that true with most things in life? It's about how you do it, whether it's at work uh, and you're trying to get some uh, tasks accomplished You can always tell when uh, you put somebody who's uh, older and more experienced with someone who is brand new and just kind of getting into their work or into their their job placement. And you can see that uh, usually the younger ones waste a lot of time because they have less experience on on how to do things. And the older ones, more mature, more experienced, are able to accomplish what they need to accomplish. The same thing is true with uh, our, our, uh, not only our jobs, but uh, when we go to school, those of you in school. It's not just about taking a test. It's how you take the test. It's how you study and how you prepare and how you execute when it comes time to take that exam. What about relationships? Isn't it true that it's not just about being in a relationship? I mean, anybody can be in a relationship, but it's how you are in that relationship. It's how you function. It's how you uh, love other people and how you exist uh, with other people in those relationships. And so it all comes down to the how. But I think especially on our uh, five-year anniversary, uh, we think about how churches exist. And we have said from day one, if you go back and look at our mission statement, I think it's probably there in the bulletin. But it is... We exist to bless the Highland neighborhood with the love of Jesus through Volunteers of America and other community partnerships. That's what we came up with five years ago. And I think we were sitting in this very room on a Sunday night uh, because that's when we started to meet. It was on Sunday evenings and uh, we were trying to figure out who we are and what we were going to do and 
and where we were going to do it. But even more importantly, it was about how we were going to do it. We spent a lot of time, had a lot of conversation about how we could do church. And it's exciting to think about the last five years, about how we've been doing that. Uh, It's exciting to think about the things that have happened, and we're going to talk about those uh, as we go along. But I think God cares about the how. I mean, He cares about the who. And some of you have really bothered me this morning because you're not sitting where you're supposed to sit. (laughs) And you're not sitting where you've sat the last five years, but that's okay. Uh, But God cares about the how. And we hear that in our uh, scripture today, not only in the Jeremiah text, but also uh, especially in this Gospel of John. We've been going through the letter of James, uh, and we're just kind of getting off that track for this particular Sunday. But we've been going through that and looking at what this brother of Jesus had to say. But this morning we're looking at another disciple of Jesus, and that is John. And John is telling us something very particular about the how of Jesus, how he lived his life, how he was a human being. And John also puts a lot of focus on the fact that he was also the Son of God. He was God in human flesh. Uh, We call this and refer to this as the incarnation, right? Um, That, and and I think Kyle was quoting from uh, the Gospel of John about the, uh, the rhythms of grace in life. And if you look in John chapter 1, it talks about Jesus moving into the neighborhood. Isn't that a great way to think about that? Jesus is described as being this light or the Word, the Word that took on human flesh and moved in with us for a while. This is the how of God. This is how God came to be with us and to live a while among us. So God does things really well. God does things in the best kind of way. It's not just about coming and living among us. It's doing so in a way that makes the most difference in the world. And aren't you glad? And so John describes for us this story. And you can see here in this old mosaic of uh, this story about Lazarus. And we did not read through uh, that entire chapter. There's just a lot there. It would take about 20 minutes to go through all of that. But one of the things, if you look back at the text, it talks about uh, Jesus uh, was out with his disciples and he was doing all kinds of wonderful things. And uh, the, uh, Martha and Mary send the disciples or they send somebody to get a message to Jesus because their brother, Lazarus, is very sick. And they see that he is about to die. And so Martha and Mary, by the way, all these are friends. They're, they're people that Jesus has related to and that he has spent time with, and they've gotten to know each other. And so uh, they send a message to Jesus. Jesus, you need to come quickly. You need to come back and to take care of Lazarus because he's very sick. And they describe Lazarus as the one whom you love. And this is pretty big for John to write this because John refers to himself indirectly, yet directly, as the one whom Jesus loves. And so Martha and Mary are describing him in this way. This is the one you love. This is your friend. Come back and do something for your friend. We have seen you do all kinds of healings. We've seen you lay hands on people or 
cast demons out of people and do all kinds of, of wonderful things. And we know if you will just come back here and do something or say something, then our brother will be healed. And so Jesus says, okay, disciples, we need to go back. And there is this delay, right? It takes about four days for Jesus to get back. And it's not because of the distance. Uh, There's a lot of speculation about whether Jesus was doing this so that he could make sure it was beyond that typical third day when uh, in, in their religion they recognized that somebody was, their spirit had fully gone from the body. Much like we talk about that with Jesus after three days. Um, and so, uh, whatever the case, it, it was four days before he got back. And as he gets back, Martha and Mary, they come to him and they're very upset, aren't they? As you would be upset. Lord, if you had been here, he would still be alive. Lord, if you had been here, uh, something would have changed in his life and we would not be talking about his death. And Jesus says, well... Um, I am the resurrection and the life. If you had believed uh, in me, or if you will believe in me, your brother will live again. I am the resurrection and the life. And so all of this is taking place. And we see that uh, if if you'll go back one more, back up to the uh, mosaic that was there, um, you'll see that Jesus is there uh, calling out Lazarus. And there are all kinds of interesting pictures of uh, this mummified Lazarus. He's in the tomb. And Jesus calls him to come out. And he, uh, he calls him to be loosened from... Uh, whoops, go back to... Uh, let's stay right there for a minute. If you'll uh, notice there, he's calling him to come up out of the tomb. And uh, he is freeing him from death and from the bondage and everything else. One of the things that, that we notice is that uh, he has done something to, uh, to share life with him. And he has been able to um, make a, a radical change in his life. And, and one of the things that, um, that we're talking about today is how we as a church are called to do that here as well. And she, uh, the, Martha and, and Mary uh, were gathered around him and all the others that were there. And John says they commented, see how he loved him? And that's one of the things I want us to think about today. Because in our mission statement, it is about with the love of Jesus. It's not just about being a church in this neighborhood or doing things, uh, whether it's the Highland Blessing Dinner or working in the Lighthouse Program or in the Veterans Program. It's not just about doing that to do that. It is to do that with the distinction of doing so with the love of Jesus. We are loving our community with the love of Jesus. And that's the kind of love we see demonstrated here to Lazarus. So how can we do that? And how have we done that in the last five years? Well, uh, the first way that we see taking place here is in this next scripture where uh, Jesus focuses in. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, so a lot of weeping going on, he was greatly disturbed or he was deeply moved in spirit. He was agitated and deeply um, uh, disturbed uh, and moved about what was going on. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, 
Come and see. And Jesus began to weep. And this is that shortest verse in the Bible. If you ever have to memorize a verse, pick this one. I believe that's 35. Uh, Jesus wept. That's a good one to remember. Um, But here it's described in this translation, Jesus began. He began a process of weeping. He began to, uh, uh, to cry. We don't often think about Jesus, the Son of God, having that deep kind of human emotion. And here he is. Jesus is a friend to all these people around him, and especially to Lazarus. And so he is grieving what is going on. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus was a friend to Lazarus. And aren't you, aren't you glad if you're Lazarus to have that kind of a friend? A friend who is able to come and, and to, uh, to rescue you and to help you. And what about Martha and Mary to have that kind of a friend? Even though they're a little disappointed with him at the beginning of this, and as they see their brother who has passed away, much like when you pray for a loved one and they pass away, and you're wondering and maybe even angry at Jesus to say, Jesus, why didn't you do what you could do? Maybe you've been there before. I've been there before. I'm sure you have too. I thought you cared. I thought you were a friend. And as we'll see later, Jesus demonstrates uh, that deeper kind of friendship. But Jesus is always making friends with people. He's making friends with people like Matthew. I mean, Matthew is this hated tax collector. He's one in their own religion, yet he is uh, scamming them. He, He is hitting them for more taxes than what they really have to pay. Uh, What about Nicodemus? He befriends him. What about uh, these women of ill repute? Jesus uh, is building friendships with them, like this woman at the well who has gotten herself into all kinds of trouble. What about the guy uh, Bartimaeus who has been blind from birth? He's on the side of the road. Everybody else is pushing him aside, saying, Jesus, don't, don't spend time with him. Don't befriend him. Just... Keep on going. He's a nuisance. And they tell him to shut up. And Bartimaeus keeps crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. What does Jesus do? He drops everything, goes over to Bartimaeus, and befriends him. What about the lepers? Jesus goes to them, and he builds friendships with them. And that's what you and I are called to do as well. That is a part of the love of Jesus that we would be in this church, that we would be in this building, we would be in this neighborhood building friendships. Isn't that what is necessary? We've done that in a lot of different ways. Uh, We've done it just by doing block parties. In fact, we just had a a big one over at uh, Robert and Caleb's house where we're building friendships in the neighborhood. We don't do anything else except take our party wagon and we get our jump house and we get our grill and our uh, 150 hot dogs or whatever. By the way, the buns never match up with the hot dogs, right? We get out our snow cone machine and our popcorn machine and our music, and we have a great time. Why do we do that? Friendships. It's all about meeting and greeting and being a part of the neighborhood. Um, We do that through uh, all kinds of... uh, uh, interaction and, and things that we do, whether it's Highland Blessing Dinner, as, as we invite and we host people to come in, we sit down at the table and we become friends, right? Isn't that what this is all about? Isn't that what Jesus did? 
It's not about seeing people in the neighborhood as being consumers. It's not about saying, hey, we want you to come to our church. We want to attract you so that we can say, we had X amount of people here today. Or passing the offering basket. Jenny always ruins things when it comes to the offering because she tells people they can just put the little visitor form in the offering basket instead of an offering. No, that's really what we... If you're a guest today, we don't expect you to give. But, but some churches, you get that feeling, right? You go in and they say, uh, we want you to come and then we want you to give some money so that we can build our institution and we can make things you know, greater and then we don't end up sharing any of that with the community. How many of you have ever been in a church like that? <laughs> it's all about the church. It's all about the institution. Uh, one thing I love about Pope Francis is he is so counter-institution. He, he loves to get rid of these big mansions that cardinals and bishops live in. He himself does not live in that way. He lives in the way of Jesus. He befriends and loves other people. And that is what we are to do as well. But also, um, it comes from uh, giving attention and being attentive to the people around us. This is what Jesus did. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit, and he was deeply moved. He was attentive to what was going on around him. He didn't just move right beyond. He didn't carelessly uh, go about doing the things that he needed to do. He really was focused. He was aware. One of the um, great things that is being written about a lot today in pastoral care and psychology and counseling is emotional intelligence. You could be incredibly intelligent, like Einstein, as all of you are. But if you don't have emotional intelligence, then you are not being a full human being. You, you are not living up to your human potential or your spiritual potential as a human being and as a being that is here in this world. You are not tapping into what God has made you to be. And one of the aspects or characteristics of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. But it is also other awareness. You become aware of the situation and the people and the emotions and the things that are going on around you. You become like a Sherlock Holmes where you are noticing every little thing about what's going on around you. And that's how Jesus lived his life. He was attentive. And he cared with great compassion for other people. I don't know how he ever got to where he was going. I don't know how he ever got to the next village or the next uh, uh, crisis or whatever it is that was calling him onward. Because he was always spending time to the point the disciples said, Come on, Jesus, we need to go somewhere else. How is it that we can be that attentive to the people around us? Well, this morning that kind of happened. There was uh, a Debbie Posey came in, and uh, she was saying there was a lady outside who uh, had, a, had a little chihuahua uh, or a little dog. I got my heart. Right? I guess, you know, I looked out and saw she had this little chihuahua. She said she seems disoriented. She doesn't speak English, and uh, we're not sure what, what her need was. And so I looked outside. She said she doesn't speak English, and they said you speak Spanish. 
which um, is uh, probably a little beyond what would be true about me. I can speak a little Spanish. But uh, so I went out and uh, saw her just kind of wandering around, looked upset, uh, older um, Latina woman. And uh, as I went over to uh, visit with her, she, uh, we were just trying to communicate through my broken Spanish, and she was lost. She was totally disoriented. She didn't know how to get back home. Her dog had gotten loose, and she was trying to get to her dog, and so she just had no idea where she was. She's from Venezuela. She lives here. She doesn't have any family. Um, I'm not sure. I never could find out exactly just how she got here from Venezuela, but we drove around the neighborhood uh, trying to find her house. And she just kept saying that it's a, it's a store, it's a food store. And it was, I determined it was not a supermercado or it was not Circle K. And I was really trying to figure out Circle K in Spanish. But we drove down there. That wasn't it. We drove down south towards Brookshire's. That's not it. Um, we drove back down Olive Street and went down to this Circle K and then went south a little bit. And uh, she saw Dollar General. And she said, aquí, this is it. But she was crying. Dios mío. I mean, she was uh, very upset. And so I got her to uh, the next street. She traveled a great distance to get over here. And she was so grateful, so thankful. As I was driving back, I thought, you know, that's really what we're about here as a church, isn't it? Because you and... And uh, Charlene and the policeman and, and uh, Patty and others were out there. They were attentive to what was going on. And we were able to be that kind of a, a group or that kind of a, a vehicle to where we could help connect lost people to home, to where they needed to be. And that's the calling of the church. We are to be attentive to what is going on around us so that we can do God's work and get people from being lost to found. Amen? Isn't that what we're called to do? And so, may we continue to do that as we continue on as a church. That we would be attentive. But also, that we would love Jesus and love with the love of Jesus here in the Highland neighborhood with resurrection power, with life. One of the things, and you can see here in the Rembrandt uh, picture of Jesus uh, being attentive there, but the uh, verse that we're going to, uh, to look at it says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, no, no, no. It's not just about them. I am the resurrection and the life. This is what I've been trying to get across to you. I am. I, I am life. When you look at me, Mary, Martha, you're seeing resurrection. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. She didn't fully get it at this point. And you and I wouldn't have either. It would take seeing the resurrected Jesus to be able to even begin to go there. But it would all make a whole lot more sense to her later. But Jesus demonstrated to this particular need, that He was the resurrection and the life. Had the ability to call that which is dead to life. And that is how we are to love people in this neighborhood. That is how we are 
to love ourselves as well, right? With the love of Jesus. And as we experience the love of Jesus in our life, the forgiveness of sins, the reconciliation of God and humankind, and as we experience all of that, we are to give that to other people and to demonstrate that kind of love with everyone we encounter. How do we do that? How do we show that? One of the best ways that we know how to do it is through um, experiencing it in our lives, accepting Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, but also getting involved with others. It takes a church. It takes a community. And one of the things that we've done is we, we have connected in with uh, another church, a much larger church, Volunteers of America, to say, look, they, they are already doing things. And, and when we came in five years ago, we said, we want to partner with them because they're already doing some kingdom of God kinds of things. They are feeding people who are hungry. They are working with at-risk children and youth. They are taking care of homeless veterans who nobody else seems to be interested in. We are uh, going to, to places to, uh, to look for them and to help say, hey, there's a better place where you can go than being under this bridge. It is being involved with people who have serious mental illnesses. To say, we want to love and be a part and show God's love to them. And what we found, by the way, is that we receive more love from them than we could ever give to them. We find Jesus right in their midst. And so through all of these ways and through our work with our children and the things Carrie has has talked about here today and the things that we do each and every day, we are loving people with the resurrection life of Jesus to say there is more to it than just existing as a church. There's plenty of churches in this city. But we want to be sure we're doing this with the resurrection power of Jesus. What will that look like? Well, I hope it will look a whole lot like what we've done in the last five years. We have seen lives transformed. We have seen things happen that we just know it's it's only through God that they could have happened. The fact that we're here today and still continuing on. We have uh, been able to be blessed with other great partnerships, Highland Center Ministries and all these, you know, 10 to uh, 14 churches coming together to do some incredible things right here in the neighborhood. I uh, see Chuck Meehan back over here and um, just the uh, incredible vision that he has as the, uh, the head of Volunteers of America of North Louisiana and being involved in the things that, uh, that they're involved with. We just see these things happening and we want to see more of it. We want to see our church grow. How many of you want to see that in the next five years? We want to see it grow as we get bigger. We want to get smaller and develop more strength in our Bible study classes, our our Sunday school system, or our care groups. We've just started two new groups here in our church, and that's exciting to see. And we want each one of those groups to develop a system of care and loving one another within those groups, because we think that's the best place that happens. But then to go outside in the community and to take on one of our missional projects and and programs and be able to work in the neighborhood as a unit, as a, a family of faith. It'd be great in the next five years to see us do something we talked about from day one, and that's to birth another congregation. Wouldn't it be great to have another church like Church for the Highlands get started somewhere in Shreveport-Bossier? 
for people who may not be able to make it here on a Sunday morning, or maybe Sunday morning is not the best time, maybe Sunday night, or a Saturday night, or a Thursday night, or a Monday night, who knows? But it would be exciting to see. There are all kinds of great and amazing things that can happen. Yesterday, um, I was at a gas station. Um, I, I had just gone in to get some gas, and I was in a hurry. I was trying to get somewhere. And there was a, a guy, in, uh, uh, not directly in front of me, but he was off to the side, an older gentleman. And uh, he was having some kind of conversation with the clerk off to the side. And I noticed that um, he had a little bitty mini, like, Coleman lantern, but it was battery-operated. Have you seen those? Um, and he was moving it around, and it, it looked like he was having trouble talking. But he kept showing it to her, and she was trying to look interested. And uh, he was making the light come on and off, and so she was, you know, complimenting it and all of this. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, that's interesting. And I went and got whatever I needed. I was coming back to get in line, and he approaches me. I thought, come on, man, this is my day off. Um, so he comes up, and he's holding up his light, and I'm like, yeah, okay. And, and he, he's uh, wanting to show me all the different things. I said, yeah, that's great. That's, you know, that's a good-looking light. And as we get in line, uh, he shows the clerk who's checking out this light. I'm thinking, come on, I just... I want to get, you know, this pack of peanuts and a, a Diet Coke or whatever, get out of here. And uh, after he turns around, he turns to me. And it's like he's never met me before, never seen me. Start showing me this light again. And impatiently, uh, I said, yeah, yeah, you already showed me that. I've already seen that. And I felt really bad after that. He kind of nodded his head and went off. And, uh, you know, I thought he was trying to scam me or sell me a light or something. But I heard him as I was checking out. He was doing the same thing to everybody behind me. And uh, later in the afternoon, as I was trying to think through my sermon today, I thought about how excited he was about his light. He just couldn't quit telling people about his light and showing it to them. This was his passion. I don't know what it was all about, but this is what his life was all about, showing light to everybody around him. As I think about Church for the Highlands, isn't that what we're called to do as well? I thank God that He has given us this little light, this little light of the world to shine to everyone around us. Thank you for doing that in the last five years. And may God bless the next five years as our light gets bigger and brighter and shines all the more. Let's pray.